Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. It is an honor to be back together this morning. We are in a series called Time for a Change. And as we look at the new year, we know this is a time where we kind of look at our lives and think about the things that we probably could change or should change. Uh, Maybe you've set some goals this year. And uh, the very first week, we talked about vision. And I used the uh, kind of the the word picture of the BB gun. Like you you got a new BB gun for Christmas and it's got 365 BBs in it and you got to aim it at something. And so we talked about seeing it, like seeing the change that you need to make before you can even make the change. We have to be able to see it. The second thing we talked about last week was mindsets. And we used that phrase, renew it. You know, we looked at that passage from Paul where he says, be transformed. We talked about that word of the caterpillar that turns into the butterfly, a radical transformation by the renewing of your minds. That we have these deep ruts of thinking that we get into and it's really hard for us to get that vehicle out of the ruts. But God wants to renew our minds. That's what we talked about last week. And this week, I want us to talk about habits and um, We've learned a lot about habits in the, in the scientific world in the last 20, 30 years. It's just been amazing what scientists have learned about our minds. And the scientific community um, knows a man by the initials EP. His name is uh, Eugene Pauly. And in 1992, Eugene Pauly was at his home in Playa del Rey. He was getting ready for dinner. And his wife said, uh, told him that their son Michael would be coming over. He looks at her confused and says, Michael who? She's like, your child that you helped raise? Who's this, he said. The next day, Eugene Pauly woke up and he was very ill. He started uh, throwing up. He had stomach cramps and he was so dehydrated within 24 hours that his wife rushes him to the ER And uh, he gets to the ER and he's like confused. He becomes violent. They have to sedate him. They start running tests on him and they find that he has um, viral encephalitis. And what happens with this type of, it's a very common thing, right? Very common virus, but in very, very rare cases, it will attack the brain. And what they found is that a virus had attacked this central part of his brain where a lot of our basic functions are stored. He falls into a coma. 10 days later, he wakes up out of the coma. The doctors are warning his wife, Beverly, he may never be the same. But Eugene Pauly starts to get better. It starts out rough at first. He's gasping for air at first, like as if he had forgotten to breathe. Then slowly he he gets better. He starts watching television. He starts chatting with nurses as they come in. Then after that, he starts remembering things about his past and his body was in great shape. They're thinking, wow, this is really good, but there's still something lacking. He's unable to retain new information. 
So the doctors send him home. They tell Beverly, look, he's going to need a lot of exercise. We just encourage you to, to take him on a daily walk. And so that's what she did. Every day, she would take her husband, Eugene, on the same walk around the neighborhood. The doctors also warned her, do not let him out of your sight. Like if he gets away from you, if he gets away from the home, he can't remember any new information. He will be lost for like, we don't know how you're going to find him. So one morning, Beverly is drying off after a shower. She notices Eugene is not in the bedroom, and it was normal for him to kind of walk from room to room, and so she doesn't think much about it, and she eventually kind of makes her way to the other rooms in the house, and she realizes that he's not there. She's calling his name. She's starting to panic. She walks outside, and she realizes that all the houses kind of look similar, so maybe in his confusion, like he went to a, another house, so she knocks on the neighbor's door. The neighbor finally comes to the door. Is Eugene there? No, he's not here. So she starts running up and down the roads of her neighborhood, crying his name, Eugene, Eugene. Finally, after no luck, she runs back home, goes in the door. Lo and behold, Eugene is sitting in his chair, watching the History Channel. Of course, she says, where have you been? He's like, what are you talking about? Because he does not remember what he just did. She scans the living room and she sees over in the dining room area on the dining room table, a pile of pine cones. So she goes and she inspects the pine cones. She goes back and inspects his fingers. And sure enough, there's dirt all over his hands. And what had happened is Eugene Pauly had left his home. He had gone on a walk. And somehow he knew where to go straight, where to turn right. And made it all the way back home, walking the very same path that his wife had been leading him on every single day. He had developed a habit. See, when we talk about habits, these are things that we do without even thinking about them. It's something that we've done so many times that it's gotten wired into us and our minds, they, they crave efficiency. And so when you do something repeatedly, your brain encodes that as a habit so that it frees up all this other mental space. That's why you can drive home from work and pull into your driveway and you'll be there and you'll think, how did I get here? Have you ever had that feeling before? You've driven somewhere, right? You get home and you're like, oh my gosh, like did anyone die on the way here? Because I, I don't remember the drive. I was thinking about something else the whole way because your mind has an, encoded a habit to free up other space that it can think and dream and do all the other things that your mind does. So as we talk about habits, I just want you to think that this is something that we all do automatically and we all have habits right hopefully we have some good habits but we all have some bad habits we have good habits hopefully you're in the habit of brushing your teeth right before bed or in the morning right you brush those teeth or you're in the habit of paying your bills Right? You're in the habit of going uh, to work. I remember when we first moved into our house and I was trying to like figure out when trash day was. Have you ever moved somewhere and you're like, when is trash day again? Right? And you, you like takes a while to get that ingrained, that habit, getting the habit of taking the trash out. We all have tiny little habits that we do every single day without thinking, but we also have some bad habits, right? The biting of the fingernails, the popping of the knuckles, 
right? It could be um, poor eating habits, right? You just, you have the same habits of eating, or it could be full-blown addiction habits where we have alcohol, tobacco, drug, uh, prescription med addictions. We have habits, and habits, as you know, are really hard to break. And what I want us to talk about this morning is these godly habits. Now, the thing about habits, right, the the thing that, that makes them kind of difficult for us is that we form our habits and then our habits form us. The um, famous quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson, you've probably heard this before, says, sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. Think about that. Thought, action, action gets repeated, gets encoded as a habit. That habit that we form now begins to form us. It forms our character and it leads us to a destined outcome, right? It leads us to a destiny. We form habits and then they form us. And this morning, I want us to talk about habits because they are absolutely important and vital to our lives. Before we land on our big scripture that I want us to look at, I want to just show you some godly habits that we see throughout the scripture. The the first one that we see is a scripture habit. In uh, Psalms 1, 1 through 3, if you've ever read this before, beautiful passage. It says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. And get this, he meditates on it day and night repeatedly. He's in this habit of meditating on God's word. And it says this, this is a beautiful promise. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bear its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Do you see the link between the habit and the destiny? Flourishing, right? A fruitful life that prospers. Beautiful promise. It's a scripture habit. The other habit that we see is Jesus had a prayer habit. In Luke 15, 16, it says, he often withdrew to deserted places and pray. That, that was his normal. Luke twenty two thirty nine 39, it says, he went out and he made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives to pray. And the disciples followed him. Now that word as usual, when we look at it in the, in the Greek language, right, the original language, it's the word ethos, the, the word that we use when we talk about the culture of a place. It's what's normal, it's what's common, it's, it's the, the habit, it's, it's what the culture of the people is, the ethos, and it was the ethos of Jesus. It was usual for him to pray. And think about the outcome of Jesus' life right? He has a prayer habit. Third, Paul, the apostle Paul has a gospel sharing habit. I know this because in Acts 14, one, we see the same word ethos. And it says in Iconium, they, meaning Paul and his companions entered the Jewish synagogue as usual ethos and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. 
Paul, the most prolific church planter, apostolic person the world has ever seen, right? This guy had a habit of going into a public place and sharing the gospel and the outcome of his life, the destiny. Amazing. Lastly, parents, this is like a knife in the heart. (laughs) Parenting good habits into the next generation. Proverbs 22, 6, start a youth out on his way. Even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. Now, picture Beverly Polly leading Eugene around the neighborhood day after day after day. And then one day, Eugene leaves the house without her. Freak out. Parents, one day our kids are going to leave the house without us. And whatever we've been leading them to do, they will do. So we have these beautiful habits in the scripture, right, of of scripture and prayer and gospel sharing and parenting habits. But the, the text that I want us to really land on is Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can go there. I'm going to have it on the screens for you as well. Here's the reason why I want us to land on this when we talk about habits. Because this is the only place in our English translation where the word ethos is translated as habits. So if you were to you know, go into your search engine and, and type habit in the Bible, this is the verse that you're going to find. It's in Hebrews 10, 19 and 25. And let's read this together. This is one of my favorite verses in scripture. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Verse 23, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And get this, verse 24, and let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other in all the more as you see the day approaching. Here's why I love this passage. What's been happening in the book of Hebrews, which, by the way, we don't know who the author was. It's not in the intro of the book, and that didn't make it down to us through history. And so we can guess maybe it was Apollos, maybe it was Luke or or one of the other guys. But this was a person who wrote a book, a letter that was received by the church as the inspired word of God. And he's telling them the difference between this Old Testament system and this new covenant. And you know about, you know, Israel and the old, you know, the old covenant. They have the temple. And in that temple, there were a series of courts progressively from the outer courts where anybody could come all the way to this holy of holies, which was a place where only the high priest could go in and he could only go in once a year. And they had to tie a rope around his leg and he had bells sewn into the bottom of his garment and he would go in there and he would offer his sacrifice. And if there was sin in his life, he would fall over dead because of the holy presence of God. And when Jesus was crucified, 
There's this massive curtain that would separate that holy of holies to the holy place. There was a holy place, and then there was a most holy place. And that curtain between the holy place, the most holy place where where God's presence resided, was torn from top to bottom, signifying this, that no longer was it necessary for rams and lambs and sheep to be offered as sacrifice, but one sacrifice had been offered for all time, and it was offered by the great high priest, Jesus Christ, so that you and I could go right in to the presence, the most holy place of God. That's amazing. That's amazing. Now, if you've ever experienced the presence of God, it's amazing. When I uh, was a young man, I was um, really more interested in girls and cars and country music than I was in Jesus or God or anything like that. But I was at a camp in Colorado, and they had rock climbing. And I thought, rock climbing sounds awesome and maybe there will be cute girls on the trip. So I thought this is gonna be a win-win, right? I go to this camp and it's like, it's in Westcliff, Colorado. It's a primitive camp. It's not like the new camps with like the water slides and the, and the cool stuff. It was like a, a shack that we stayed in. It had holes between the boards so the air of the, of the Colorado wind would come in at night and we'd just like freeze in our beds. It was called the Eagle's Nest because I think birds of prey actually perched up in the top of this cabin. Like it was just so primitive. But every night we'd sit in a circle on the ground and a man named Dean would preach to us. And one night he preached just the gospel of Jesus. And I experienced it for the first time, the presence of God. It was like, I equate it to like having a, if you've ever had an x-ray where they put like that lead blanket on you, it felt like the weight of God's presence. It was like a lead blanket. Like I just sensed the nearness of God. That was the very night that I gave my heart to Jesus. And I realized like this is for real. God has made a way for us to go into the most holy place and he uses the word here boldly like without reservation like when you walk into your parents home and you get to just walk in the door and throw your your your, you know stuff on the ground and sit on the couch like that's the attitude it's like boldly coming in to the presence of the father wow He says, this is what he's done for you. And in light of this glorious truth, here's what I want you to do. He gives us these three responses. He tells us this, draw near to God. Like, he's made a way for you to do this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to do it. Like, draw near to him with a sincere heart, right? Full assurance of faith. The second thing he tells us is that we're to hold on to the confession of our hope. Like, hang on to this. Like, this gospel of Jesus that sometimes feels like holding water in your hands. Like, it just keeps leaking out as you're getting bombarded with the messages of the culture and the age and the world. And you're like, what? Like, I believe in a resurrected man from 2000 years. What? Hold on to that confession. And then he says this, watch out for one another. And then he gives us these little statements to to kind of describe what it means to watch out for one another, which he says, which includes provoking one another toward love and good deeds. 
And then it also includes encouraging one another. And in the middle, he uses our word ethos, habit. And he says, don't neglect gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, that's a don't statement. If we were to just kind of take the equivalent do statement, he would say this, gather together, right? Make it a habit to gather together. In the world of um, brain science and habits and what they're learning about uh, habits from people like Eugene Pauly is that they're learning that there are these things called keystone habits. For example, uh, a, a keystone habit would be some habit that enables you to embrace other good habits in your life. So some people, first thing in the morning, they'll put on running shoes. Very first thing, get out of bed, put on their running shoes. And they found that if they get in the habit of putting on running shoes, they are more likely to go on a walk daily. They're more likely to exercise just by developing a keystone habit of lacing on running shoes. Another example, they found that people who drink uh, water, like so they've gotten to the habit of drinking more water every day, right? They start making better food choices. Like it, it unlocks all these other habits. Well, I think what this author is telling us is that there's a keystone habit in gathering together with God's people. Not neglecting to gather together is a vital keystone habit that unlocks other godly habits. Now, I know what you're thinking, because I might be thinking this if I were you. Preacher boy is preaching a sermon on going to church. And sure, that's what he's supposed to say, right? Because he leads a church and it's good for him when people come and when they come on a regular basis, like that really works great for him, right? That's gonna, that's gonna make him feel so good about himself when people come every week. Well, here's the thing. The writer's saying that that's good for you. That's what he just said. In light of what Jesus did for you, in light of the presence of God that's open to you, here's what I want you to do. Do not neglect gathering together. He says that it's good for you. In the, uh, in the process of planting this church, we were thinking about the mission and the vision and the values and how to say it. And uh, there were two values that kind of came to the top for me, the top two values. The first one was this. Relentless devotion. And what, what that means is simply that I want it to be the ethos, the culture, the norm, that we're people who love to go in. Like we love to go into the presence of God. We, we are people who are devoted, not just on Sundays when we gather, not just on Wednesdays in a house church, but like people who just daily are seeking God, who, who are, are pursuing him, right? reading scripture, praying, worshiping, people who love to go in relentless devotion. The second term is this, this term, contagious community. Now, contagious sounds very negative, but here's what I mean. Something that is contagious is something that catches, right? right? One person gets it, and they, they, they you know, somehow interact with another person and it catches on the next person after them. So this idea of community that's so good that it catches, like it's a contagious community. 
And I believe that's what he's telling us here, that these ideas of devotion and community are all wrapped up in this vital keystone habit. So here's what I want to contend for. Why gathering together is a vital habit for you. Number one, it draws us near to God. When you are in a habit of meeting with the people of God, the church, the family of God, there's stuff that gets said. Things that someone else might say to you or something that I say or the worship leader leads us in a song or something that's shared in prayer at house church. And there's something about that that sort of awakens that, that longing, that yearning for the secret place, right? That place where you meet with the Father, where you go in. And there's something about gathering together that will feed this other habit inside of you of drawing near to God. It's that nudge to seek him when we're apart. The second reason why gathering together is a vital habit is that it helps us hold on to the confession of our hope. Now, we all know people who probably used to be a part of a church and they had a vital relationship with, with Jesus, right? They had an amazing faith and then something happened along the way and they stopped engaging with the church. And then, you know, you, you go back and you talk with that person, you sit down with them and you start hearing them talk and you're like, this doesn't sound like the person I knew five, 10 years ago. Something's change? What's going on? And what you find is that they've let go of the confession of their hope. Right? They're out there on their, all alone. And they're in the same barrage of messages of our culture and age and belief systems that we all get hit with. And they lose hold of the confession of their hope. You know, one of Satan's key strategies is isolation. He wants to get us all off on our own, where we're all alone in our own heads. We have all those old ruts that we talked about that we fall right back into. And then before we know it, like we're not even meeting with God anymore. So it helps us hold on to the confession of our hope. Thirdly, it's where we watch out for one another. He says provoke, that's the word provoke. Now, we typically use that when someone says something inflammatory and we're like, what, what, what'd you say about my wife? Whatever, right? I'm provoked. But he says provoke one another toward love and good deeds. In house church, right? Sometimes someone shares something and it provokes me. Like I just, I, they share something that reveals like their, maybe a, a tenderness in their heart towards people who don't follow Jesus. And I'm like, oh, I need that. I need that attitude. Or, or they share an insight from scripture. And I'm like, this is a person who spent time with God. Like I am provoked by just the insight that you're sharing. Like I, I want that for myself. Right, there's ways that just in rubbing our lives against one another in conversation and, and ministry and prayer that just provokes love and good deeds inside of us. Maybe you've just been struggling to love your spouse well. And then you hang out with somebody that just like is so good at that and you're like, oh, like I'm convicted, but I'm provoked. Like I just, 
I see, like, I need to love my spouse that way too, right? It's a provoking community, but it's, it's also a place where encouragement flows. He says, encourage one another daily. I don't know if you've ever had someone encourage you, like genuinely encourage you, where they just name something about you that is good. Most everyone in your life is going to name something about you that's not good, right? <laughs> when your boss says, hey, can we meet in my office? You're not waiting for encouragement, right? You're expecting something quite the opposite. You're waiting for someone to show you another fault, another problem. But when someone encourages you, it's so radical. It's so countercultural that someone would just say something kind and unsolicited to you. It's a beautiful thing. See, it's in community where we provoke one another to love and good deeds and we encourage one another. It's where we watch out for one another. So I believe this gathering habit, just making it a regular thing, is so good for you. See, in the last 30 years, we've seen the rise of the megachurch and at the very same time, the decline of Christianity. I was looking at stats this week of gathering, like people who gather together and it's not good. Right now for the millennial generation, some of you are in that uh, age group here, 35% attend church gatherings once a month or more, which means that 64 plus percent say they, they attend a few times a year to never and when you sow a habit, you reap a character. And when you sow a character, you reap a destiny. And, it, and I believe that there are millions of those people who never go to church that probably sincerely love Jesus. They believe in him. But I'm so worried that they will not be able to hold on to the confession of their hope that they won't experience the fullness of what Jesus has provided for them in his church. So, what does it look like here? What does it look like at Renaissance to gather together on a regular basis? Well, we gather like this on Sundays, and the reason why we believe this is important is that we believe it's important for us to worship together. That there's something about coming together like this and exalting the name of Jesus that just, it's like a shot in the arm, right? It's like good for the soul to worship. We also believe that, that we are to proclaim the gospel of Jesus on a regular basis in a public setting like this. We believe it's absolutely important that everywhere we see a move of God, the, the preaching of the gospel is always included. It's so important that we are proclaiming the gospel right here on a weekly basis. We also think it's important that we take the sacraments. Jesus gave us the sacrament of his body and his blood. He said, do this in remembrance of me. It's, the, it's one of the only things he gave us. Baptize and do this in remembrance of me. So when we come together, we take the Lord's Supper together, and it's a sacrament. It's what we do to remember Jesus as a community collectively. It is so vital for us. 
The second part of our, our strategy here is that we have these things called house churches, and that's where we meet on Wednesday nights, and we've developed a community rhythm, an, an ethos, a normal, a habit of gathering together. And here's how that looks. On, on the first Wednesday of every month, we have a prayer and worship night. We call everybody together, all the house churches. We meet over at this uh, Friends of North Richmond building the first Wednesday night of every month. We worship a little bit, and then we pray. We pray individually, we pray for one another, and we pray for our city and our community. The reason why we think that's important is that we don't think it's our strategy that's going to move the heart of God. We think it's the prayers of his people that will absolutely move the heart of God. And our heart desires to see him move for the 200,000 people that live in our five-mile radius. The second and fourth Wednesdays of the month are a regular house church gathering. We eat, we talk, we catch up, we discuss whatever passage that we talked about on Sunday, and then we just pray, like, what are prayer requests? What's going on with you? We have a ministry time to one another at that house church. The third Wednesday of every month is just an, a meal night. It's an open night where we, we want to invite anyone and everyone to join us, right? It's a place to be welcome, to experience the community where we hope it gets contagious, right? People catch it. And so on that third Wednesday of every month, we just invite people in just to hang out. Let's talk. Let's catch up. That's our normal. It's our community rhythm, and it's what it looks like for us to gather together. I want to close with this story. In the, uh, in the early 90s, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were a doormat team. I mean, regularly, other teams were wiping their feet all over them. They were terrible. And Tony Dungy was applying for head coaching jobs at that time. He had gone to four different franchises, applied for the head coaching job. And every time, he would share his strategy of changing the habits of the players. And all four franchises said, no thanks, right? That doesn't sound exciting at all. Changing habits, boring. <laughs> But he went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and of course, it couldn't get any worse for them. So I guess his habit thing, they were like, sure, let's try it, right? It can't get any worse. And what he found is that all these players were making a lot of decisions on the fly, right? So they're, they're you know, the, the ball snaps, and they're seeing mo movements, and they're making decisions on the fly, and nothing's been predecided for them. And so they were making all these errors and mistakes, and everyone was playing for themselves. So what he did is he just grounded into their brains in practice over and over again so that whenever they would see a key movement, they knew exactly what to do. It was already predecided how they were going to respond. And at first, it was awkward. Right? Game one was terrible. All the players were still trying to figure it out. I mean, it was just really, really bad. But as the season progressed, all of a sudden, they start winning games. And to the point where they became a winning team just by changing habits. And in that story, I think it's important for us to think about our habits. Because if we wait until the moment of, we always fall right back into the old habit. We do it unthinkingly. So I want to encourage you, what about you? Is this your habit? Is it something that you do repeatedly without even thinking about it?
parents is vital connection to the church, something that your kids are seeing and they're like, this must be important. I wanna encourage you, decide it now. Pre-decide that gathering together is a habit that you're gonna bring into your life and gather repeatedly and regularly. And I believe that this will unlock godly habits in your life. Let's pray this morning. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.